Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, and you can stand for the reading of the word. Here's what I want to I want to talk to you about Tuesday at night of prayer. If you some of you were here, um, I talked about having prayed and asked God, like, what is a what is a word or a phrase um, that that can serve as a catalyst for us going forward in 2022? And and I was trying to think of something some cool, some some fly to say. I couldn't think of nothing cool and nothing fly. I should have asked some of y'all. Um, but the only thing that I could come up with was was this word priority. Right. And, and I think God was calling. I think God is calling the saints in this year to, 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 for him to be your priority, for, for him to be first and foremost in your life. Not to say, hey, I just put God first. I just throw a prayer into what I already got going on. Pray that God bless it and call that putting God first. But no, r- really for us to make an intentional effort to pursue God in a relationship with him and let him dictate what our agenda is and not try to dictate our agenda to God. Amen. Right. And, and so if our mission as a church is for us to, number one, grow in Christ, the main way that we grow in Christ is through the word of God, through engaging with the word of God. And so we do a Bible reading program. It's intentional. But today I want to talk about that primary means of grace that God has given us, which is which is reading of, of the Bible, reading the scriptures. And, and I want to highlight the, the significance of Bible reading and the significance of the of the Bible itself today in, in, in a sermon. I'm going to teach and preach at the same time about the Bible today. And hopefully at the end of the day, you will be compelled to engage with God in the Bible and growing your relationship with him through the word of God. And so I always pride myself on saying this is a church where you don't have to leave your brain in the parking lot. This is a church where you don't have to leave your brain in the parking lot. If I'm preaching something and you don't get it, you don't understand it, you've read your Bible, you don't get it, you don't understand it, I'm not going to look at you and say you just need to believe it because God says so. Although you should believe it because God says so, right? But, but I, if you have questions, we're not afraid of your questions. I want you to be able to be able to go out into the world and make a defense and explain to people why it is you believe what you believe. And so today we're going to talk about the Bible, but I do want to just give you a resource for your own reading. I know people like, oh my God, he always recommending books. Some of y'all run from me because you don't want a book. That's fine, but I'm, I'm going to recommend something real simple, a little small primer on the Bible. This book is called Why Trust the Bible. It's in a series of books by Crossway. It's one called Who is Jesus? One is called What is the Gospel? But this book in particular is called Why Trust the Bible? And it's a very short book with like 150 pages or so, 144 pages in here. And it tells you and gives you the historical reasons and the spiritual and theological reasons on why you can actually trust your Bible. It's called Why Trust the Bible. It's a short read. I almost read the whole thing in one sitting. And check this out. The pages are even short. Come on. The pages are even short. And so I recommend you getting this as a supplement to what we're going to study on today. And so if you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 15 today. 4 through 15. And here's what it says. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town. He said in a parable, a soul went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. 
It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on the ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. That's incredible. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples said, um, your homeboy, we don't know what you're talking about. He says, they said, what, 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 what does this parable mean? And so he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest, it is in parables so that they looking that they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And he goes on to explain the meaning of the parable. He says this, this Jesus says to his disciples, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And the seed along the path are those who have heard And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's that's like real tragic. And then there's another type of seed that falls on another type of plant, the same seed, but it falls on a different type of soil. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Woo, this is great. I love this. I love this message. I love this church. I love this preacher. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing when life gets tough. And as for the seed that fell among the thorns, I think these, this breaks my heart the most. These are the ones who, when they have heard, they hear it, and then they don't hear it. They go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground These are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it. And by enduring, they produce fruit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you that your grace is sufficient, God. I thank you for this opportunity, God, for us to study your word this morning. I pray that today will be transformative for us. I pray, God, that that you would... Just do something in our hearts, God, that you would make us love you so much that we would run to your word to find out about you, to learn more about you, that that we would engage with your word, that we would grow exponentially in our faith, God, that we would be rooted and grounded in the word of God and in our relationship with you. And so today, Father, I pray against some of the outcomes that are in the very text that we are going to study. I pray that as the word touches the hearts of your people i pray that satan doesn't come in right while we're sitting here and snatch away the good news i pray god that 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 as we preach today i pray that the word of god is not choked out by the worries and stresses and riches and pleasures of life lord i pray today that 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 if we hear the word and that we receive it and it feels good it sounds good it, it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy i pray that if we face something as soon as we get outside of the church that we don't relinquish the very thing that we were holding on to. I I pray that's not the case, God, but my prayer today is that the seed will fall on good ground and that we would receive the word with honest and good hearts, that we would hold on to it and that we would endure and that ultimately, God, God, we would produce fruit that would bring glory to your name. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts as we study together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. My sermon title this morning is simply prioritizing 
the word, prioritizing the word. And, and so before um, I get into the crux of the text and what it means, I, I want to help you because I understand the type of church that we are and I understand the type of people that I pastor. And, and I want you to be in a generation of people who are equipped about the word of God, who are equipped and know what you believe and why you believe it and, and know why you have the faith that you have and be able to explain it to someone else. I want you to be equipped and empowered that if somebody asks you, why do you still believe that antiquated old Bible? Don't you think that stuff is outdated and times have changed? And why do you even believe that in the first place? That's, that's some man-made nonsense. How do you even know it's true? How can we even trust it? And so at the outset, I want to provide you with some practical tools in my sermon so that you can have confidence in knowing that your Bible is real, that your Bible is true, and that you can trust what is in the word of God. And so there's this pastor who had this amazing quote about the Bible um, a couple years ago, and, and I've always used this, and I want to give this to you today. And he says this about the Bible. He, he says this about the Bible. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in the fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine, rather human in origin. And so that's good news because even the Bible writers themselves don't claim that this comes from us. They actually claim that they were inspired by God, that that's good news for us that we know that we have a book that one man that's sitting off in a corner somewhere then just come up with something and make up some religion no these are historical documents written by eyewitnesses who were alive during the time of the events that they record took place and so you can have faith because this is not just some one man or one one woman who said I had a vision and had a dream and they make up this whole book they make up this whole Quran or they make up this whole uh, 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 Jehovah's Witness ideology they, they make up this whole thing in their head by themselves with no one else to corroborate their story. That's not how your Bible is. That's not what happens in the Bible. He goes on further to say in a second quote, here's why you can trust your Bible practically. The Bible is made up of 66 different books written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic by more than 40 authors, most of whom never met because they wrote over a period of 1,500 years and the accuracy of historic events presented in the Bible is supported by the findings of more than 20 23,000 archaeological digs. There's more proof of this being true than the last post you read on Facebook. And so you can trust the scriptures because this is not just some man-made stuff, but this is written over a span of 1,500 years and most of the authors never met each other, but somehow their story corroborates. This would stand up in any court. Anybody can use this evidence that I just presented to you in a, in a trial and have a valid argument. And so the Bible, the Bible is something that we can trust, but it's not just good historically. It's also good theologically, which means it's good theologically. It's good spiritually, and it will be a benefit to us. And so let's look at and study this text. And here's why I presented this to you, because what we believe about the Bible actually matters. If we do not view scripture as a final authority, we will treat the Bible like good advice 
and not the living, breathing word of God that has the power and the authority to transform us and change us. The word of God is the foundation of our spiritual growth. If you want to grow, then you got to engage with the word. And so it's not just foundational for our spiritual growth. It is actually the foundation and basis for our salvation. You can't come to faith without the word of God. And here's why I say this. If we look at Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 17, it says this. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher and how can they preach unless they are sin as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news and verse 16 says but not all obey the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our message here's the response verse 17 so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ you can't be saved unless somebody preached the gospel to you and if you're if you say you're saved and you've never heard the gospel, guess what? You're not saved. But the gospel, the message, the preaching of the word of God, the preaching of the Bible is how we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not just good for our spiritual growth. It actually is the basis and foundation of our salvation. Without the word, there is no salvation in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense to you? So... When the word of God is preached, it's not just done for the sole purpose of conveying information for you, but to sit under the preaching of the word of God is to put the, before the hearers an opportunity to make a decision to align themselves with God by trusting in him and turning to him for salvation. But the challenge for us and the challenge for our culture, and sometimes people deny the truth of the scriptures, not because we can't prove that it's true, but they deny it because it bears some responsibility on us. One, one, one writer wrote this about belief. The, deep, the trouble with deep belief is that it costs something. And there is something inside of me, some, some selfish beast of a subtle thing that doesn't like the truth at all because the truth carries responsibility. And if I actually believe these things, then I have to do something about it. You know, the old adage goes, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is also detrimental. And so our relationship with and response to the word of God matters. It matters. It matters to us. And so for those of us who love the word, those of us who've been changed and transformed by the word, we will agree with the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 105 that says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is good. It is the blueprint for life. It is how we get joy. It is how we find peace. It is how we find love. It is how we find out who God is and what he has done for us and see how he has transformed and changed our lives. The word of God is good for us. D do you know this? If I ask the question, if I poll the whole audience today and I said this, by the showing of hands, can anybody tell me what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Don't, don't raise your hands because you're not waving them now. But do you know that the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119? And do you know how many verses are in there? 176 verses are in Psalm 119. And do you know what Psalm 119 is about? Do you know what the longest chapter in the Bible is about? It's about delighting in God's word. 
The longest chapter in the Bible is about the word of God. And so it, it speaks to us and tells us that we need to put a premium and a value and a significance on the word of God because it is the thing that transforms our lives. And so in this text, Jesus is doing what? He's preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and the crowds are following Jesus like crazy. He has a, a large amount of disciples at this juncture. People are following Jesus all over the place, but not all followers of Jesus are genuine followers. I'm sure some of them were seeing the miracles and they were curious. Some of them were hearing what he had to say and it sounded different from everything else that they had heard. So they just kind of were following along to see where he was going with it. But but not everybody who was following was a genuine follower. And, And what would determine whether one is a genuine follower or not is how they hear and how they respond to what he has to say. Let me say that again. In order to respond or order to find out what kind of follower is following Jesus depends on how they hear and how they respond to what he has to say. And so this section that we're studying in chapter 8 today addresses the consequences and the blessings of one's response to the preaching of the word of God. Chapter 8 today addresses the consequences and the blessings of how we respond to the word of God. And I think it's interesting. It's kind of funny in this juncture at the text because the crowds are following Jesus. He's been teaching, right? He's, he's been laying the word down. He's been teaching and the crowds are following. The crowds are swelling like people. His popularity is at a fever pitch at this juncture in the text. And Jesus pauses right here. Jesus is like, wait a minute. This crowd is getting too big and I don't want no fake followers. It's too many people right now. I don't want no fake followers. So he takes the time right here by this parable to address all the fake bots that keep following him. He takes the time right now to address all the new followers that he got that's trying to sell Forex. That's trying to sell Bitcoin and whatever Ponzi scheme. And and Jesus is taking his time right now through the parable to block. He's taking his time through the parable to restrict. He's taking his time to the parable to report so he can get rid of all the fake followers because he only wants genuine followers who want to respond to what he has to say. This is what he's doing at this point in the text. And he uses a parable to set the record straight. A parable, just saying this because not everybody knows, is an illustration of something that is obvious to shed light on something that is obscure. I'll say this again. A parable is just an illustration of something that is obvious to shed light on something that is obscure. Parables are illustrations from everyday life to make one single point. He's just using an illustration to parallel it with some spiritual truth that he wants to communicate to those that are following him. And in this particular text, he uses the analogy of a farmer sowing seed on soil on different kinds of soils and so here's what the disciples say after they heard him give this parable disciples asked him what what so yeah you told us about the thorns and the rocks and the path and the good soil what what's this all about and Jesus response is the secrets of the kingdom have been given for you to know but for the rest is in parables you see see I've opened you guys' eyes to understand something about what I'm saying it's like a it's not really a secret. It's more like a, like an open secret. It, it's one of those things where if you really explore it and try to try to find out what it means, you can find it out. But but if you want to stay stuck on stupid, you have the option to do that, too. 
And so Jesus is telling his disciples like, hey, you, you guys have your eyes open. You don't understand everything, but you have a small understanding. And so it's not really a hush-hush secret. It's kind of like an open secret. You, you, you guys are in families. You, you guys have families. You, you have family history, family drama. Some, some stuff in your family you know to be true, but don't nobody talk about it. We act like it never happened and like it don't exist. So it's kind of a secret, but not really. It's, it's, it's only a secret to the family members that pretend it never happened. And, and so this is what he's saying. You guys know what's going on, but for the rest, I speak in parables. And if they want to understand and discover it, then they can. And so he's referencing here Isaiah 6. Verses 9 through 10, when he says, look, and they may not see and hear, and they may not understand, he's actually referencing the prophet Isaiah. When, when God sent Isaiah to, to give a prophecy to Israel, when God was speaking to Israel at this time, Israel was hearing what God had to say, pretending that they didn't hear what God had to say, and then doing what they wanted to do. God would speak to Israel, Israel would hear it. And then didn't hear it. And then go on to do what they wanted to do. And so God says, let me send my prophet Isaiah to them. He's going to tell them what I said again. And every time they hear what I have to say, they sit under my word. They receive my word. They ignore my instructions. They disobey me. I want them to know all they're doing that every time they sit under the word of God and they don't respond to it and don't obey the instructions, all they're doing is further hardening their hearts in sin and bringing judgment on themselves and this is the same thing that's happening in Jesus ministry and it's the same thing that happens in churches today people sit under the word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and they never let it come to bear on their minds and their hearts and make transformation happen in their lives and all you're doing is making a heart harder and harder every time you hear God's instruction every time you hear it and you like nah that ain't for me homie and then you hear it and go what you want to do, all you're doing is hardening your heart further. To hear the word of God and to disobey it doesn't make it easier to follow. It makes your heart harder and harder, and this is what Jesus is trying to say. But the word of God is so powerful that it brings life to those who receive it, but it also brings judgment to those who hear it and then reject it. So we can't just sit under the preaching of the te- and the teaching of the word of God every week and come in with a haphazard as an attitude about it. It's the, it's the literal word of God that's being declared to you. It's, it's a spiritual moment that is happening. It's a real spiritual moment. And, and we, we, must, we must treat it as such. And so you come in sleepy. And you're wiping your eyes. And you're thinking about brunch. And you're regretting and neglecting and regretting that you got to go to work on Monday. And you're thinking about your financial problems. And you don't really want to be here because you stayed up to 2 o'clock last night doing nothing. But if I knew that God was going to speak with me and meet me, I'd have a different approach. If I knew I was going to meet the president tomorrow morning at 8, I probably wouldn't go to bed at 3. I probably would get a good night of rest because if he thought I was if hit by his grace and mercy if he thought enough of me to have a conversation with me the least I can do is prepare to hear what he has to say and if we would act like that for a dignitary how much more should we act like that to the God who chooses to speak to his people
This ain't just Sunday morning going through the motions in church. No, I get to hit here and sit under the word of God and my life can be transformed by it. And so this is not something that haphazardly, don't get enough rest, I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to doze off. No, that's not what this is. This is an actual thing that you prepare for and prepare your heart to receive from. This is a spiritual event. And so here's the thing. Jesus knew in this parable that a farmer sowed seeds. And anytime you sow seeds, there is the opportunity and, and the chance that at some point there are going to be hindrances and obstacles or things that are detrimental to the growth and the cultivation from the seed to bring forth what it's supposed to bring forth. There's always this danger, the elements, there are other things that could happen that can make sure that this seed doesn't come to fruition and bear fruit. Every farmer knows that, but it still doesn't mean that the farmer doesn't sow the seed with an expectation that it will produce a harvest. And in this case, Jesus is the sower of the seed of the word of God. Jesus is the sower in the parable. And the soil that the seed falls on represents four different types of hearers who hear the same word of God. And there are four different responses. All right. I want to say that again about this parable. The soil that the seed falls on represents four different types of hearers who hear the same word of God. And they have four different responses that eventually just brings about two different outcomes. I'm going to say it again because I know some of us not good at math. I'll repeat it. The soil that the seed falls on represents four different types of hearers who hear the same word of God, but there are four different responses, but it's really only two different outcomes. All right. So verse four through 20 verses four through uh, 16. Um, really just four. I'm sorry, 15 actually just talk about the need for authentic hearing, the need to hear well, the need to hear and respond to the word of God. And here's what authentic hearing is. Authentic hearing is hearing that leads to faith. And that faith leads us into heartfelt obedience. And so, so here's what I want to say. When we genuinely hear the word of God, when we come with our hearts ready to receive the word of God with an expectation that God is going to change us and transform us. We see the word of God as exciting and freeing. Oh, my God, I get to read my Bible. I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. No, I don't have to go to church and listen to another long sermon. No, I get to go and sit under the word of God. The word of God is, is exciting and freeing. It's not boring and oppressive. It's not boring and oppressive. And here's the thing. The way we know that we genuinely hear the word of God is by the response that comes from our hearing. And here's the caveat. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by our obedience. We're saved by faith. But that faith leads us to obedience. Okay? Let me say that again. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by our obedience. We're saved by faith. And that faith then leads us into obedience. So this is not some works-based righteousness where if I hear the word and I do something, then God will save me. No, you're already saved by trusting in him. And that faith that saves you then leads you into obedience. And so I want to put the not put the cart before the horse. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. Y'all got that? All right. So we read the word of God. We sit under preaching. Here's what I say. This is a spiritual occasion. This is spiritual this is a spiritual occasion when we sit on the word of God and we need the Holy Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to receive and to surrender to what God has to say. And the first person, or the first type of soil that the parable addresses is the path. Verse 12 says this, to seed along the path, those who have heard and then the devil, I mean, right, just right out the gate. Here he is. 
The devil, the seed along the path of those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Here's what I want to say. This is a huge news alert for you that just come to church and think that I'm just at church. It's cool. I'm around some other believers. It's cool. Go to lunch, go to brunch. Whenever this dude get done preaching, it's more than that. When you hear the word of God, Satan is not neutral nor indifferent when it comes to your relationship with the word. Let me say that again. Satan is not indifferent or neutral when it comes to your relationship with the word of God. It actually matters to him how you respond to the word of God. And so when we encounter the word, we encounter warfare. Man, I started reading. I just got sleepy all of a sudden. I was reading the word and then somebody texted me. I was reading the word of God and then I saw a vow. I was like, we don't even talk like that no more. Let me read something else. Oop, I got a Facebook notification. Oop, I got an Instagram notification. Oh, somebody retweeted me. Satan loves that. He loves that. He wants to come in as soon as you hear the word and cast as much doubt as possible. It matters to him whether you receive it as the word of God or not. That's why I said what I said at the outset and gave you that practical stuff about the word of God and his historical accuracy. I wanted you to know so Satan doesn't come and cast out. How can you really trust the Bible? He wants to do that. It, it matters to him if you ignore that which you disagree with. Oh, he wants you to hear something about sexuality and for you to say, no, I don't really disagree with that. I think people should love who they want to love. Yes, I got him. It matters to him that you believe some of it and don't believe some of the other parts. You know, I, I, I like some of that stuff, but I don't like some of the other part of it. He loves that. His is for you to discredit it all and be convinced that how you respond to the word does not matter as long as you just sit in church. He loves your ignorance and your apathy towards the word of God. He loves your ignorance. He loves your apathy toward the word of God. He would rather you believe his lies than for you to trust the truth. And so there's a real nemesis. There's a real nemesis out there that stands in the way. As soon as the word hit, he wants you to say, hey, no, 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 don't believe that. Don't trust that. No, no, it's not real. You know what you're experiencing. Believe your experiences and your feelings over the truth. I need you to do that. And we fall victim for it. But there are some ways we can overcome that. We need to pray for the Spirit's help for the word to firmly plant in our hearts. We need to pray for the Spirit's help. God, I'm about to sit under this sermon today. Holy Spirit, open my heart to receive. Move all of the junk out of the way so the seed can be planted and the seed can germinate and grow and produce fruit. Holy Spirit, help me to listen well. Holy Spirit, help me to believe what is preached. Holy Spirit, break up the hardness of my heart that stands in the way of my growth. We encounter warfare when we encounter the word. Then he talks about the rock and the seed on the rock of those who, when they hear, they receive with joy, have no root. These believe for a while, fall away in a time of testing. That These people who, who receive the, the rock, they, 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 they're not offended by the word of God. They're not hostile to it. I, I could have saved that whole out thing I did at the outset of the sermon. They don't really care about that. They, they like the word of God. They, they receive it with joy. It's like, it's cool. I re I'm receptive to it. I, I believe it. But, but these people are the most tricky ones because it looks like something is sprouting up and growing, growing quickly. And this, th this type of person, they fool, the rock fools everybody. The rock fools everybody because they start out killing it. They come to church and you see them every Sunday. They are on fire. 
They're serving every chance they get. They join everything. They're at everything. They, they're killing the game. And, and it has, and for as a spiritual leader, you kind of got to be a little, a, a little cautious and a little wise about this because the quick growth can fool you. And you give people responsibility too soon when they're not ready to handle it. And you don't know because they, they show so much potential at the outset that you trust them with responsibility that you should probably wait on. They, they fool you because their consistency is so on point. You'd be looking like, oh, my God, we thank God for you. We were waiting and praying for somebody just like you. They get a taste of the goodness of God. But then we find out eventually that there is no real conversion in the first place. They believe for a while. Everything is good. Oh, this word is good. I love this preacher. I love these people. And I love this church. And then I was going through a tough time and I just fell away. Since they believe for a while, but that word believe is a different type of belief. That's not true faith. That means intellectual assent. They actually believed it in their mind, but it didn't get down to their heart and they didn't experience true conversion. So th this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And, and, and so we can get fooled by the rock because the rock receives it with joy. Oh, my God. I don't have enough time to tell you all the people that came in and grew exponentially were on fire. The hair that was on fire. They were serving everywhere. And then poof, gone. They professed Christ. They didn't possess Christ. And it's so heartbreaking. They went through testing. And I said at the outset of the message, with certainty, the farmer who sows the seed knows that the seed will encounter a range of barriers and deterrents that would hinder the growth and maturity of the crop while the farmer is waiting for the harvest. So sometimes testing can be, I find myself hearing the word and not being able to live up to its standard. So instead of pleading with God for mercy to obey I ex exercise the option to doubt what it says is true because what I feel is more real to me than what I read or heard in the scriptures. I mean, this, I, was, I was on fire, but then I was going through something, and what I was going through stands in opposition to what I heard about the, the word of God. Or life happened to me, and I can't make sense of the suffering that I'm experiencing, so the Bible can't be true. When pressure comes, these people fall away. Falling away is when genuine faith is no longer present, but a season of testing happens to us all. Testing is inevitable. Testing proves, testing actually is the proving ground on whether or not the word of God has taken roots in our heart. We don't know where we are with God until a test comes. And this is what's happening. But genuine faith says, I'm not letting go of God or his word. Don't care what happens to me. I'm going to believe this thing from the beginning to the end. Feeling good about the word of God is not the, is, is the initial thing. It's not the end goal. The, the end goal is not for you to feel good. The end goal is for you to endure. And so here's what we need to do. As followers of Jesus, we need to be honest with people about the hardships of suffering in the Christian life. When people fall away, you know what that means? That, that identity in Christ never really sank into their hearts. Because if you read the scriptures, 
Identity with Christ means that we don't just share in his glory to come. We share in his suffering now. To follow Jesus, to follow the path of suffering and then glory. But the thing is, the glory may not happen in this life, but it's promised to happen in the life to come. And so we have to tell people that. We can't tell people that they can manifest stuff. That's nonsense. That's hyperbole. We can't tell people just speak it into existence. Where do you see that at in the scriptures? It says the God who speaks things that are not as though they were not you. Why are we selling people a bill of goods? If you're going to preach to people or lead people in the ways of God, lead them to the gospel. Lead them to Jesus. Stop telling them this is going to happen for you and this is what's going to happen for you. And God is about to turn it around and God is about to make it happen. Really? See, God got you out of that job because he was preparing you for a new job. How about God got you out of that job because you were a horrible employee? Is that an option for us? God, God moved you from them friends because he's about to bring you some new friends. Maybe he got you from one of those friends because you are a horrible friend to these people and they don't want to have nothing to do with you. See, God, see, God had to let this happen to you. See, you don't have money now because God is about to bless you supernaturally. How about you don't have money right now because you didn't budget and you didn't tithe? Is that an option for us? But all we do and all we are are a generation of people that base our theology off of 30-minute sound bites, 30-second sound bites. Here's what God is about to do for you. You know what God did for you? Died. On a cross, shed his blood. Guess what you are? Forgiven. Guess what you have? Eternal life. That's better than anything else that the prosperity preacher is about to promise you. God is about to take you to your next level. What if he's not? All the apostles died horrendous deaths. So did the apostle Paul and so did Jesus. And I'm not saying that there's not joy and peace and love and good food and vacations and nice houses and nice cars for Christians. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but it shouldn't be primary. But when we tell people that and then the testing happens, they fall away because we gave them a bill of good and false promises. And then there's the thorns. And these people break my heart more than any people. Man, they just break my heart. I want to throw my iPad. So the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they don't produce no fruit. Thorns keep these, this crop from maturing. They, they choke the life out of the seed by robbing them of the nutrients that they need to grow. And this will be the temptation of many, the temptation to negate the word of God and attempt to justify it through busyness. You know what it means when it says it chokes the, the life out of them? Choke. For me is, I got a lot going on. I'm really busy and I haven't had time to really sit on the word, whether the preaching or the teaching or the reading of it. I just have, I just, I'm so busy. I just don't have time. But I'm going to go to church. And they treat the word of God like a motivational speech or a buffet. And they chase the very things that the scripture warns us about. 
Here's what, here's what I will say about the people who, that, 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 that they get the, the life choked out of them by, by the pleasures and the, the worries and, and, and the things of, of, of riches in this world. Here, here, here's, here's what, here's what their, their, their deal is. Their spirituality is not a priority. They'll walk with God is not a priority to them. And so they arrange their preferences as their priority. And God is not a priority. So what ends up happening is when you use the excuse of being busy or got a lot going on, we make up our own theology, make up our own spirituality. But if you root and ground your life in the word of God, the word of God frees us from the absurdity, from the absolute madness of thinking that we determine the nature and quality of our relationship with God. The word of God says, no, here's how you worship God. You don't get to make it up. So that undercuts all of the, I do Jesus, but I don't go to church. Do you really need to go to church to have a relationship with God? I don't know. Ask the people who are writing letters to churches. Some people think that they can gauge and determine the quality of their relationship with God based on how they feel. But we cannot determine the way in which God is to be worshipped. God has already determined that. And he has left us the blueprint on how we ought to worship him and engage with him and how we ought to glorify him with our lives. It is found in the place where most Christians refuse to look. The Bible. You can't have a faith apart from the church. A Christian faith you can't have apart from the church. Because Christ died for the church. We are a part of the body of Christ. And guess who's the head of the body? Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's the head of this body. And let me tell you something about Jesus. He don't have out-of-body experiences. And the people who make it up and use excuses miss the fact that the word has an end goal. And that is to point us to Christ. And teach us how we are to respond and how we are to worship him. And so there are people that sit under the word every week and it never comes to bear on their lives. They never mature. They're at the same place, same attitude, same worldview, same lifestyle. Year after year after year because they hear the word and then they go away. You know, I think about, about this text. The first three verses in this text talks about these women who were following Jesus, these, this group of women who were supporting the ministry of Jesus with their possessions. It names these women in the first three verses if you look at it. And I think it's not strange that right after he mentioned these women and them giving their possessions and them following Jesus, I don't think that it's strange that now he makes this parable of the sower about those who will not genuinely hear and respond to the gospel because he uses this parable as a parallel of these women who have heard his teaching, but they didn't just hear it they responded to it with their lives by giving themselves and giving their possessions to the support the work of ministry and so now he talks about those who hear and they don't respond and so we hear the word of God it means that there's something for us 
to do about it. There's something for us to do, and that is mature, that we don't just read the word, but we let the word read us, and we align our lives with the word of God. And the goal of Bible reading is to enjoy God, but the goal is also for us to grow in Christ-like spiritual maturity. And that brings me to the last person, which is the good ground. Let me say this about the path, the rock, and the thorn. All of those are tragic outcomes. The path walks away unbelieving. Then you have the rock. The rock believes for a while, and then they get tested, and they walk away too. And then you have the thorn. The thorn just hears it and keeps on moving. I don't know if the thorn ever got saved in the first place because God never becomes their priority. But then there's the good ground. Verse 15, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. These people come in and they read the word of God with an expectation and a desire for the word to transform them. They, they receive the word with appreciation and they act on it. Some of us grew up in old school churches. Let me say this to you. Some of us grew up in old school churches. I grew up in an old school church. As soon as the preacher started reading the scripture, it's lit. The people are going crazy at the reading of the scripture. God, what? Say it, Rev. Woo, this is great. I promise you, if I find some old people, I'm going out and I'm bringing all of them in. They can wear polyester suits, big hats, white gloves. I don't care. Just for their amens, I want them here. And God said, come on, Rev, talk to me. I love that. Because what that is saying to me is they love the word of God. They appreciate it. They don't just take it for granted. They know it is the active living word of God. And they're sitting under a spiritual moment and God is speaking to them and they're ready to listen to it. But we come in. And you got to do these spiritual checkups all throughout worship. And all throughout the preaching of the word to make sure y'all still are here. Next Sunday is old school Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to text out whatever the scripture is going to be next Sunday. And I want y'all to get ready for it and just read it before I and then say mm and amen the whole time I'm reading. I'm going to do Psalm 119 next Sunday. I'm going to do all 176 verses and we're going to groan and moan together. Mm, ah, mm, come on. These people understand what it truly means to follow Jesus in the suffering and the promises that it entails. The good ground has a heart that is ready to receive. They don't live on the false notion that they can cherry pick all the good scriptures out of the Bible that, that they often misinterpret to mean that God is here to grant my wishes only. The good ground holds fast to the word in all seasons of life. It doesn't matter whether I'm up or down, sad or happy. I am holding on to the word of God I can't just quote Romans 8 all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose no they can also quote Romans 5 3 through 5 that says suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope they can quote those things in times of difficulty when they are 
dealing with temptations, they can go to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Please put it on the screen. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden in hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you in times of depression and worry. I don't have to walk away from God, the church, or the word. I can hold fast to Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word is not just for good seasons. It's for all seasons. Hold on to the word. It's it's good for our souls and for our spiritual growth and development. And so, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, the good soil, the good ground, says my heart will walk through the through life with all of its traumas and problems, and I'll still cling tightly to God and His Word. Good soil or good ground are those who hear and respond with faith and faithfulness. They trust the word in all seasons, especially difficult ones, because in those seasons, the seed of the word produces fruit. And here's what I want to say about fruit. Fruit is never a matter of an overnight exercise. You don't have to be a farmer to know that if you plant seeds on Sunday, that you're not going to see a harvest on Monday. It's not how that works. You have to wait some seasons. You have to wait. You have to endure some inclement weather at times. You have to endure maybe some birds or animals coming in and digging up the seeds at times. You have to endure some stuff. That when life gets difficult, that's not your cue to run. That's your cue to stick your feet in your heels and plant them in the ground and hold fast and hold firm to God and his word. I want you to mature, church. I want us to grow up in the spirit. We got to stop being these fickle, emotional people that, are, that predicate everything on how we feel. Your feelings are not the final authority God's word is. Just because you feel it don't make it true. You take them feelings and you subject them and make them surrender under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. I feel lonely. So God's word said he promised never to leave you nor forsake you. I feel like I'm by myself. God said that he's a comforter in his word. I'm sick. He says I'm the great physician. You must surrender yourself under the word of God and persevere. And I'm going to read the last couple of scriptures for you and I'll be done. Ultimately, the word of God is meant to change us and transform us to look more like Jesus. <clears throat> and I think the Lord's brother James put this in plain text for us in James chapter 1. Here's what he says. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I love this. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. 
for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. That's a beautiful promise. And ultimately, scriptures are good for us, especially in a season that we're in. Here's what the Lord said in Luke 6, verses 46 to 49. Here's what the Lord said. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. If you want stability in your life, Make the word of God your foundation. Make the word of God your foundation. Paul's last words to Timothy were this. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I'm done. Here's what he says to his son. This is good for us. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what, to, what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, we want God to get the glory out of our lives. And we want to be used by him to our maximum potential. And we got to ground our lives in the word of God. You won't survive without it. So many competing voices, so many spiritual leaders and preachers preaching heresy on a minute-to-minute basis, right in the comfort of your own phone. You better know the word of God for yourself. I don't even want you to hear what I have to say and take it for face value. If I say something in error, if I say something that does not align with Scripture, I want you to I want y'all to call a meeting. I don't know what y'all I want y'all to do at the meeting, but call a meeting. Somebody got to tell him he's veered off from the truth of the gospel. If I ever get up here and say, you know, I prepared a sermon, but God spoke to me in my car on the way to church. Run. Run like your hair is on fire.
eyes. Why wouldn't God give me something straight from his word? We should be so well versed in this that we hear nonsense. We can readily identify it. Some of us don't know the truth because we don't study the word, number one. And number two, we've curated for ourselves a playlist of false teachers. And so when you hear the truth, it sounds like a lie. You train yourself in that which is false. This is a call for us to engage with the Bible, with the scriptures, Engage with it like it is what it is, which is the living word of God. It is the power, has a power of salvation, and the power to make us spiritually mature. But if we're ever going to get to where God wants us to be, we have to prioritize the word of God. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.